0: which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
1: Okay, I won't do that many rounds, but you'll get a sense of one, certainly. Are
2: you interviewing him,
3: actually? About what?
1: My boxing, because I'm known well, as a famous boxer. Be-
3: for the record, this is not a famous boxer. So Juan
1: is, still thinks I'm the to champ eventually. Yeah. You, we calls me hard. the champ anyway. <laughs> we're, coming, we're coming for Mike Tyson. Just a few more years. We're coming for Mike Tyson. A few Tyson. more <laughs> years of practice. And all.
3: The man I'm standing with, in a makeshift South Florida outdoor gym with his trainer, surrounded by curious kids is Arthur Agatston. You may not know his name, but you definitely know his diet, which was everywhere in the early 2000s.
2: Real weight loss for real people. Go to SouthBeachDiet.com today. Oh. You'll rev up your metabolism for even faster weight loss.
3: i the doctor behind the revolutionary South Beach diet. I'm a real person.
0: I lost nine pounds and 22 inches.
3: At 75, Arthur is still hard at work on his beach body. We're on the swanky island off the coast of Miami, where Arthur lives with his wife, Sari. His regular boxing lesson is about to kick off. We're standing outside on a basketball court. Every so often, a ship comes by, blasting its horn. Arthur's trainer is a former professional boxer named Juan Arroyo. They start off with some shadow boxing. Then Juan takes out his boxing mitts for Arthur to hit.
0: Ready?
1: Jack. <coughs> Jack. If your shoulders how wide. You, like, like this? Like okay. this. When you gotta stand right, doctor, you parallel, Weight in the middle, separate your legs more. to so yards back. You should film That's the far. chest so they can see what the, the diet does. <laughs> Look how he
3: moves. <coughs> Arthur is nimble on his feet. As Juan swings a mitt at him, he quickly ducks. He looks young and agile.
1: You top of the game. You up today. Oh.
3: Arthur credits the South Beach diet with at least some of his endurance. It is also the source of some pretty immense wealth. The island where he lives, Fisher Island, is accessible from Miami only by ferry or private yacht. We got here today on the ferry in a Tesla. Arthur's neighbors include the model Carolina Kurkova, former New York Knicks player David Lee, and tennis star Carolyn Wozniacki. Oprah owned a condo here at one point. The place looks like a resort. People even travel around the island on golf carts. But I'm not here to rub elbows with the rich and famous or get feedback on my right hook. In the early 2000s, the South Beach diet became a sensation. I was just a kid at the time, but I know that my mom did the diet for a little bit. Lots of people did. It was everywhere. And I wanted to understand why. After all, it's basically a low carb diet, which means eating lots of protein and vegetables and not eating much bread, pasta, and dessert. And as we learned in the last episode, low carb diets are nothing new. They've actually been around for many, many years. And yet, the South Beach Diet book became a major bestseller and spawned a franchise that has sold more than 23 million books. In its heyday, everyone from former President Bill Clinton to actress Nicole Kidman were reportedly fans. And the South Beach Diet wasn't just insanely popular— it was insanely popular during a time that I like to think of as the golden age of the diet. From the 90s to the 2000s, the sheer number of diets was incredible. Weight Watchers was also exploding at the time.
0: When you're on a diet, hungry is there to sabotage you every step of the way.
3: The Biggest Loser was about to hit our TV screen. In
0: just a moment, one player will become this year's Biggest Loser and win the grand prize of $250,000 from Nabisco 100 calories.
3: There were even diet cookies. You could eat for breakfast. you want to
2: lose up to 15 pounds a month, get smart for life cookies. Doctors develop smart for life cookies with extracts from natural ingredients like fruits, vegetables,
3: wheat. Even the fashion of this time period seemed to require being impossibly skinny. Remember low rise pants and crop tops? In this episode, we're going to dissect the South Beach diet. It's the prototypical diet in many ways. It was created by a doctor. It designated certain foods as good and others as bad. And it became a huge, huge business. How does a diet become so popular that decades later, there are people who still have a South Beach Diet cookbook hanging around their kitchen cupboard? How does a particular diet go viral Preaching the same kinds of things diets have been preaching for many years. I'm going to break it down and reveal the formula for viral diet success, like celebrity endorsements. I'm Bloomberg News health reporter Emma Court, and from the Prognosis Podcast, this is Losing It. The story of the South Beach diet starts with Arthur Agatston and a little bit of a belly, specifically his belly. For most of his life, Arthur was thin and athletic, so thin that sometimes he would even eat junk food to try to put on a few pounds. But one day he realized that he had gained some weight and not on purpose. In the mid-90s, Arthur was putting in long days as a cardiologist at a Miami hospital.
1: Now we're sitting around with our cardiology fellows boasting about some athletic exploit and the fellow starts laughing at me. Arthur asks this guy, what's up? And he said, look at your belly. Arthur looks down,
3: only to find...
1: I really, I had one.
3: So Arthur goes on a diet. But the diet wasn't just the start of a weight loss journey for Arthur. It was the start of a whole new chapter in his career. I met Arthur on a bright December day in his medical practices office in Miami Beach. In person, Arthur was really more like your classic doctor than a diet guru. There were a couple of models of the human heart in his office and a white coat hung on the back of his chair. Arthur himself comes off as kind and straightforward. He's also excitable, prone to tangents, even while in the middle of telling a completely different story. But Arthur is also a diet guru. Back when he invented the South Beach diet, a different kind of regimen was all the rage. You probably remember how supermarkets suddenly started stocking low-fat everything. Low-fat cottage cheese, fat-free yogurt, even low-fat cookies. This became popular in the 80s as a way of preventing heart disease and losing weight. At the time, even the American Heart Association recommended a low-fat diet. And Arthur was into heart health. He was a heart doctor, after all. Not just any heart doctor, a pioneering one. A test named after him, the Agatston score, is still used to pick up people's risk of things like heart attacks. So as Arthur is trying to figure out how to lose weight himself, he's also thinking about how nutrition impacts things like the risk of heart disease. And he's pretty sure that low-fat diets aren't actually the answer.
1: Now, Low-fat diets just didn't work in clinical practice. It didn't lower your cholesterol and it didn't prevent diabetes or anything.
3: Arthur thought low-fat diets were steering people in the wrong direction. People like him. During late afternoons at work, he would sometimes
1: start feeling dizzy and shaky. So... I would run down to the doctor's lounge, have a low-fat blueberry muffin, which was sugar and, and junk and a cup of coffee. Brought my blood sugar back up.
3: Instead of low-fat
1: low-carb
3: diets were now becoming popular, led by another cardiologist, Robert Atkins, of Atkins Diet fame. So Arthur starts on a low-carb diet. And as soon as he does this, he says that the pounds start melting away. He loses about 12 pounds. The belly is gone. Arthur is back to feeling like his usual fit self. He also suspects that he is onto something. He thinks this diet would be good for his patients too. So he meets up with his colleague, a dietitian named Marie Almond. Together, they come up with what would eventually become the South Beach Diet, a three-phase plan for weight loss. But at the time, it had a different name, the modified carbohydrate Diet. Lose weight, eat healthy, and
2: get in the best shape of your life. Introducing the brand new modified carbohydrate carbohydrate diet. The effective way to lose weight and learn the way to maintain a healthy weight without hunger or
3: deprivation. Catchy, right? Arthur and Marie's new diet was similar to Atkins, but had more of an emphasis on healthy fats. Here's how it works. Phase one is intense. That's when you have the most restrictions on what you can eat. You're eating protein, like fish and meat, and lots of vegetables. You can have milk and cheese, so long as they're low-fat or non-fat, but you can't have bread. Potatoes, pasta, alcohol, desserts. You can't even eat fruit in phase one. The point is to get rid of cravings for foods that the diet says are bad for you. And during this part of the diet, the pounds are supposed to drop fast. In phase two, things relax a little. You can start adding back whole grain breads, high fiber cereals, sweet potatoes, some kinds of fruit, wine, and even chocolate. Sparingly, that is.
1: So we really introduced the concepts of the good fats and good carbs. You didn't have to be high carb, or low-carb, or high-fat, or low-fat. It was choosing the healthy ones.
3: South Beach became known as a low-carb diet anyway. In phase two, you're not restricting what you eat as much. So the weight loss happens slower. And you just stay in this phase of the diet for however long it takes to hit your goal weight. Another sort of novel idea the diet emphasizes is snacking in strategic ways.
1: Because your blood sugars did have swings, and before your blood sugar dropped, if you had a snack and prevented the drop, it would prevent you from being very hungry.
3: And in general, blood sugar is kind of a theme of the South Beach diet. It tells dieters to eat foods with a low glycemic index, especially in phase one. The idea is that these foods should keep you full for longer, and less likely to crave, say, mint chocolate chip ice cream. Once you've lost weight, you move into phase three. The diet basically says you've learned how to eat and you can relax a bit. There's no list of foods to eat and foods to avoid anymore. Like, you can eat chocolate sponge cake now. The book actually says that. Beyond the chocolate sponge cake, the diet is honestly a little vague about exactly how this phase should look. It does say that people can overdo it and regain weight at this point. If that's what happens, then the book tells you to start back at phase one again. In this way, the South Beach diet helped spread a classic diet myth. The myth is this. You diet for a little while, then get back to your normal life. Now with a new, slimmer body. Except that's not really true. You have to keep up these new habits if you want to keep the weight off. If you don't, you wind up in a never-ending cycle of losing and gaining weight, which is not good for your health. The diet I just outlined, by the way, was the original South Beach diet. There's also a newer version. Before it was a book, the South Beach diet was just a pamphlet. Arthur says even calling it a pamphlet might be overselling it. It was three or four sheets of Xeroxed paper stapled together. Arthur and Marie offered the pamphlets to patients at their hospital who were in cardiac rehab, which is where people who've had heart attacks and other heart problems come to get healthy again. Arthur says he sometimes meets people who still have their original, stapled together copies of the diet. Arthur's patients start losing weight. Soon, a local TV station wants to do a segment on the diet. Arthur is into it. He also starts realizing that his diet has commercial potential. He and his wife end up buying the rights from the hospital where he works. It's called Mount Sinai Medical Center. Yeah,
1: bet Mount uh, so, Sinai regrets that decision. So I, I think they regretted that.
3: Arthur also realized that his diet probably needs a new name. Modified Carbohydrate Diet just didn't quite roll off the tongue. He toyed with just calling it the Agatston Diet, in the model of other doctors turned diet gurus before him, like Robert Atkins. But Arthur wasn't crazy about this idea. Arthur is an academic at heart. He didn't want to become Mr. Diet Doctor. Arthur says it's his wife, Sari, who ultimately comes up with the name. They're at dinner one night, eating fresco at a Mediterranean spot underneath a big tree in South Beach, a famous Miami neighborhood known for its beaches, nightlife, and gorgeous people. Sari thinks about it, and she realizes it's the South Beach
1: diet. I loved South Beach when my wife said it, because here we were on South Beach, And South Beach was becoming hot. And what I concluded was, unless you went to the public and marketed, you weren't going to be successful.
3: The imagery that South Beach conveyed was perfect. It made you think of beautiful women in teeny bikinis and tan, muscular men on a glamorous white sand beach. And South Beach, the place, was itself having kind of a moment. Miami had already been a popular place to visit, with its sun and sand. But South Beach started becoming really well-known in the 80s, thanks to new investments in hotels and restaurants. There was also a new hit show called Miami Vice, By the time the South Beach Diet hit the scene, South Beach had become the sort of place rich and beautiful people like to hang out. The newly named Diet is featured on local TV in South Florida, which ends up being kind of a turning point for Arthur and the South Beach Diet. Arthur and the Diet become pretty well
1: known, locally at least. Then everybody said, well, you have to write a book. Had you written a book at that point?
3: uh, No, no. no. uh, So Arthur did. The book is called The South Beach Diet, the delicious, doctor-designed, foolproof plan for fast and healthy weight loss. The diet hit bookstores in April 2003 and spent almost nine months at number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Eventually, it would be translated into more than 30 languages, spawn a whole franchise of South Beach guides and cookbooks, and sell more than 23 million books under the South Beach Diet brand. It was a phenomenon.
2: It's a groundbreaking phenomenon with a global following, the South Beach Diet.
3: And the South Beach Diet did change the way Americans dieted, but not forever. Millions of people did the diet back then. One of them was Jeanette Fulda. She's a freelance web developer who lives in Indianapolis. At the time she tried out the diet, she was 24 and had been struggling with her weight since middle school. Jeanette was skeptical of fad diets, but she had been trying to lose weight on her own for a while, and it hadn't been going so well. She needed a plan And the South Beach diet didn't seem like that much of a fad diet. For one thing, it had been invented by a cardiologist. I chose the South
2: Beach diet because my brother had lost about 60 pounds on it, and he wasn't doing anything crazy. You eat lean meats, like turkey and chicken, you eat whole grains instead of like white bread, you eat vegetables and
3: fruits, and that all seems reasonable to me. Jeanette kept a weight loss blog, After all, this wasn't just the golden age of the diet. This was also the heyday of internet blogging. Jeanette's blog was called Pasta Queen. The South Beach diet cracks down on pasta, by the way. I combed through its archives to see what she had written about the South Beach diet at the time. I could see how some of the facets of the diet we've been talking about drew her to it and kept her on it. Like the first phase where Jeanette lost 16 pounds in two weeks. Here's Jeanette reading from one of her early posts. You
2: learn some basic rules about what types of food to eat and about how much, and then they set you free. You can do what you want with the permitted foods, allowing for lots of variety. Plus, you're supposed to eat until you're full. Wow, a diet that doesn't expect you to starve. All of those traits combine to make a diet that I think I can actually follow for a long period of time, hopefully the rest of my life. Basically, I've chosen the South Beach diet because, one, you start losing weight immediately. Two, the regimen isn't difficult to learn. You just learn the basic principles and what you eat is flexible within the rules. And three, I should never feel hungry or deprived. I hope it works. Ah,
3: yes. A diet that's flexible. As long as you follow all of the rules. We've heard this from dieters before, like Dany Cologne in episode one. Jeanette also says that, in retrospect, the diet sort of taught her what healthy eating was supposed to look like. She had some vague ideas, but the diet really pinned those details down. In the past, I'd
2: kind of tried to eat healthy, but because I didn't know specifically, like, what should I be eating? You know, that was a little hard. Uh, I did like the South Beach, Day, I did have like a list of foods where it was, okay, this is okay in phase one, this is okay in phase two, this is okay in phase three. So I could kind of refer to that and just be like, okay, you know, are bananas on the list? <laughs> you
3: know? For the record, bananas are not on the list in phase one, but you can have them, specifically medium-sized bananas, in phase two. In two years, Jeanette ends up losing nearly 200 pounds. Let me just say that again. 200 pounds. She lost half of her body weight. And she actually ends up writing a memoir about all this. Here's Jeanette on the Today Show.
2: And Jeanette Folder is with us this morning. Jeanette, welcome. Hi. And congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. I'm going to start off with a question. I don't normally start off with guests. How much do you weigh
3: now? I weigh about 180 pounds. Jeanette brings her old pants to the show and holds them up before the audience. The Chiron reads, Skinny story, weight loss tale. She's sitting on a stool in the interview, and she told me that she thinks they sat her there on purpose, so her whole body was visible in the shot. We'll come back to her in what she calls after the after photo in a bit. Remember our original question, why did the South Beach diet take off? Was it the name or that it was invented by a doctor? Was it that it seemed easy with only two weeks of really restrictive dieting? I wanted to get to the bottom of this question. So I talked to Carol Engstadt, who designed the cover of the original South Beach diet book, The name, obviously, was a big part of what sent the South Beach Diet to the top of the bestseller list. But the way I see it, Carol's book design was another key factor. Its publisher, a company called Rodale, was banking on the book taking off. Rodale wanted it to look like a big book, a publishing term for covers that are eye-catching and look like bestsellers. In practice, that usually means having the title in huge letters, taking center stage. So Carol pitched exactly that. The background was a bright turquoise color, with a palm tree peeking out on one corner. It was actually a stock photo. The words The South Beach Diet are stacked in front of the beach shot, taking up most of the page. And then Arthur's name is on the bottom. It reads... Arthur Agudston, M.D. It's really, you know, when you look at it, very basic and
0: simple. It's just, you know, the blue and the green
3: kind of flowing together and just a hint of the palm frond. This is the design the publisher, Rodale, goes with. They also add onto the cover the words, Lose belly fat first. This is what they call a hook of the diet a thing that sets it apart and draws people in. They also end up printing the cover on shiny foil paper, which is more often used for things like romance novels. Carol says that made the book feel sexy, which was exactly what they were going for. It didn't even really look like a diet book or even something health-related. Here's Tammy Booth Corwin who became the editor-in-chief and president of Rodale Books. I remember the day we were in my office
0: out in Pennsylvania, myself and our publisher, Amy, and all really all a big team, our deputy editor, Mary South, and we all stood around and our designers put on the floor of my office probably 40 covers. And then one by one, we took out the ones that just weren't hitting us in some special way, and, and then it came down to the cover that we, that we published with. And one of the things we loved about it was it looked like a novel. It looked like something you'd sit down and read
3: on the beach. Diet publishers like Rodale knew that standing out was the key to a successful diet book. There were already tons of diets out there. A book needed to sound new and fresh to get attention, and especially to sell. The other important piece was the way the diet was structured. The three phases gave people a sense of momentum, especially with a strict initial phase that was likely to shed pounds fast. The fact that South Beach had three parts to it was a classic move from the diet playbook. The Atkins diet, for example, has four phases. Phases help dieters feel like they're progressing and moving forward even during periods of time when weight loss slows or even stops. And phases also make dieters feel like they'll eventually be done with the diet. In other words, they can see the light at the end of the tunnel. With the South Beach diet, that light is phase three. We've talked a lot so far about what made the South Beach diet successful. But we need to also talk about what the diet overpromised and where it fell short. These are themes we've looked at earlier in the series, how with dieting, there's a thin line between information and misinformation. When scientists evaluated various nutrition facts in Arthur's book in 2006, they found that only a third was clearly backed up by published scientific research. For example, one big draw of the South Beach diet was that people lose 8 to 13 pounds in their first two weeks. But the authors of this paper weren't able to find any research backing that up. I spoke with one of the study's authors, David Katz. He points out that the South Beach diet does steer people away from processed foods and added sugars, which is good. But it also tells people to make changes that aren't sustainable, Like eliminating certain foods before bringing them back in later phases. The South Beach diet was an attempt to
2: improve on Atkins and say not all carbs are created equal, not all fat is created equal. The emphasis on how this was a uniquely effective way to lose weight was distortion.
3: What David is talking about here is something many weight loss programs are guilty of the idea that this diet works way better than all the other diets out there. David doesn't approve of health professionals and scientists in particular, giving the public misleading information. After all, they're supposed to be the people we can trust. Another questionable fact is the very one promoted on the book's cover, Lose Belly Fat First. As if. We can't determine where on our body pounds will disappear from. People lose weight in all kinds of ways. Arthur, by the way, stands by the book, though he acknowledges they got some things wrong and the science has evolved in areas. And when I bring up the criticisms, he doesn't get defensive or anything. Did they say we were wrong about snacking? But he says, basically, he stands by the diet, that they've corrected the record where they were wrong.
1: Now, the principles everybody should be eating that way as far as the basic principles of avoiding sugars, avoiding bad carbs. For all Arthur's confidence, I still have questions.
3: Overstating aspects of a diet, or going beyond the scientific evidence at the time, those things affect people. And yet none of this kept the diet from becoming a sensation. It didn't matter whether it did exactly what it said it would. Because word about the diet spread faster than the criticisms. And the hype was compelling. The South Beach Diet.
2: The book became a bestseller eight years ago and caused a revolution in the dieting world. From cutting carbs to swearing off sweets, the South Beach Diet changed the way many Americans slimmed down.
3: Something that seems to have worked to the South Beach Diet's advantage was the reach of its publisher. Rodale was an important player in the health and fitness world. It owned nine magazines, including Men's Health, Prevention, and Runner's World, reaching about seven million readers altogether. When the South Beach Diet was published, Prevention ran an 11-page spread. There were pieces in Runner's World and Men's Health. Diet also made the cover of another well-read magazine called Women's World, which wasn't owned by Rodale. Rodale also sent out five million direct mailers to get the word out. In other words, Rodale had some serious resources, and it used them to tell people about the South Beach diet. And there was another new way to reach people. The internet. This is the 2000s, the era of internet businesses, including an early Amazon, Yahoo, and eBay. People are starting to get smarter phones and even watch cat videos online. And the Rodale team put the budding internet to work, They partnered with a company now called Everyday Health to offer subscription diet content and message boards for dieters. Part of that
0: was community, which we could not offer in the book, for example.
3: That was Tammy
0: again from Rodale. And it really complemented the book. All of the branding they did drove book sales. Book sales drove to the digital product.
2: With SouthBeachDiet.com, it's now easier than ever to lose weight while eating the foods you love.
3: I do. I get to eat the
2: sweets. Now with Diet.
0: And there
3: was another thing that really helped push the South Beach diet to the masses. Celebrity endorsements. Former President Bill Clinton happened to have a new book coming out around the same time. So he went on a book tour and he looked great. And people were asking him, you look great.
0: And he said, I think it was in New York Magazine, he said, I'm on the South Beach Diet. And from there, sales
3: skyrocketed. Jessica Simpson, who famously wore short shorts in the 2005 Dukes of Hazard movie, was also said to have used the diet to fit into her Daisy Dukes. The actress Bette Midler was another South Beach Diet fan. Celebrities are especially effective diet ambassadors because people already want to look like them. As the diet was taking off, Tammy and other Rodale employees would gather around their publisher's office every week and wait to hear how well the book had sold. Back then, you had to wait for the numbers to come in. You couldn't just check them online. Then the publisher, Amy Rhodes, would decide whether they needed to print more copies. And literally in the first year, we went back to press 23
0: times, I think it was. It would be so exciting. Amy would say, I'm pushing the button for another 100,000 copies. And the first time that happened, we, we thought, you know, this isn't another stratosphere now.
3: This brings me to the final and critical piece of all this, timing and context. Remember, before the South Beach Diet launched, everyone was talking about a different dietary villain, fat. This was the era of fat-free cookies and frozen yogurt, after all. The cultural tide started to shift with the Atkins diet, which made carbs into a dirty word instead. You walked in the studio and a collective gasp over how fantastic you look. I know you're doing Atkins I'm doing Atkins. In the first six weeks, I lost 23 pounds. Then I went to 30 pounds I lost. And then Christmas... That was Sharon Osbourne, who was a celebrity ambassador for the diet. Atkins was extremely popular, but it was also criticized because it told people to eat a lot of fatty foods. Doctors said then that it could be dangerous for people. Then Robert Atkins the inventor of the Atkins diet, died. He'd been injured, but it started this huge controversy about whether Robert Atkins himself was in poor health. There was a discussion around the time of his
0: death about, you know, did he have a bad heart? You know, people said he was
3: obese. A doctor who worked with Atkins, by the way denied a lot of this back then and said Robert Atkins' medical issues likely weren't because of his diet. It was all very sad. However,
0: having a heart-healthy diet to replace it almost at the same time was just a very odd, odd bit of timing that ended up being something that helped the book kind of take that place.
3: It's customary for Diet Books to come out in January. But Rodale actually put The South Beach Diet out in April, wanting to set it apart a little bit. Remember, Bill Clinton is going on his own book tour around this time and talking about the diet. And then the very month The South Beach Diet book comes out, Robert Atkins dies. The timing couldn't have been predicted. But it would wind up being very important. And really, this is one of those
0: stories of a book or a launch where you do everything right in your mind, you do everything you can do, and then you send it out into the world and you don't know what will happen next. And then there are all of these X factors that go into it. The timing, you know, in terms of how people receive it, what else is happening in the marketplace, in that specific category and elsewhere, and so on.
3: To recap, the South Beach diet succeeded because of its branding... It's tremendous reach, celebrity endorsements, and timing. That formula worked for this diet, and it's worked for countless other diets too. For the people behind the South Beach diet, it was a success story. It had blown past expectations, dominated the cultural moment, and redefined how well a diet and a diet book could do. But for at least one person who actually did the diet, it was way more complicated. That person was Jeanette Fulda, who we spoke with earlier. She lost almost 200 pounds on the South Beach diet. This is the story of after the after photo, as she puts it. Jeanette loses all that weight and keeps it off for about a year and a half. Then it starts creeping back. But that was the least of her problems. I still have that. (laughs) It's been 14 years now. I've had an for 14 years. Jeanette started getting these persistent headaches, not because of the diet or anything. They just started happening. And nothing really helped to relieve the pain. Dealing with health issues made it really hard to keep dieting, as you might imagine. So
2: I was working a 9-to-5 job and I would just be exhausted at the end of the day. And I would just stop at the grocery store and get something to eat, ice cream or you know, chocolate-covered almonds or something, and I would eat as soon as I got home. And that was, like, the best part of the day.
3: (laughs) It's not just Jeanette. Dieting might be manageable in the day-to-day when everything is going right. But then again, when does everything go right? Things come up, including, unfortunately, illness. Like for Dani Cologne, the calorie counter who we talked to in our first episode. The road bump was a family member's health crisis. This is incredibly common. For Jeanette, it was her own health troubles. I
2: can't blame the headache entirely. I think part of the problem was by then I'd gotten out of my good habits and I kind of entered this new normal where it was normal not to exercise, and normal not to eat healthy. And trying to transition back to that I think is very difficult.
3: She thinks about losing weight again, but doesn't have the energy. It's harder to exercise, especially when comparing herself to earlier Jeanette, who had run a half marathon. Over the course of nine years, she gains it all back, nearly 200 pounds.
2: You don't quite notice it at first, because 20 pounds a year is just one or two pounds a month. It's maybe like one dress size per year. So I'd have to buy new clothes in the fall. But hey, it's the fall. I'm going to buy some new clothes anyway. And it would just be another size. It's depressing. <laughs> yeah, I think it's always depressing when your body is doing something you don't want it to do, particularly when you're trying to do it for your good health. You know, I'm not trying to hurt myself. I, I want to be healthy. But for whatever reason, my body just wants me to get fat again.
3: Jeanette's headaches aren't as bad anymore, by the way. She's doing better. I was impressed that Jeanette was so open about sharing her story. We see people on TV all the time talking about the weight they lost. But gaining weight isn't exactly celebrated. It's stigmatized. She told me the only reason she feels comfortable talking about it is because she's been dieting and losing weight again. Over the course of two years, she's lost about 110 pounds.
2: I guess the thing that really kickstarted me was the pandemic, where suddenly there's this killer virus out there. And I was like, oh, obesity isn't going to kill me
3: 20 years from now. It's going to kill me 20 days from now. I was struck by that number, 110 pounds. That's a lot. And remember, she had previously lost almost 200 pounds all those years ago, before regaining the weight. As I was poking through Jeanette's old blogs, one early post in particular stuck out to me. Back then, at the very start of her weight loss efforts, she learned that the vast majority of people who lose weight regain it. And this is what she wrote about that stat. I plan on being one of the 5% who doesn't. This idea keeps diets in business. We all want to be the exception to the rule. I'm going to dig into exactly what the scientists say about this in our next episode. I'll be traveling to a sprawling research campus in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, that's home to every gizmo and gadget that could possibly help researchers study weight loss.
1: One of my colleagues used to say it's like Toys are Us for a kid, uh, you know, it's Toys are Us
3: for a scientist. We'll take a look at the conventional wisdom about dieting, that classic formula of calories in, calories out, and explore how researchers know it's true, but also how they know there's more to it than that. We'll also dive into the never-ending showdown between low-carb and low-fat diets. To see which one, if any, is actually better. And last but not least, we'll dive into the secrets of successful dieters. Like. And so I bought
0: some food safes so that I could put the uh, food that I had trouble controlling myself with in those food safes.
3: Losing It is written and reported by me, Emma Court, and edited by Kristen B. Brown. Magnus Henriksen is our senior producer. Stacey Wong, our associate producer. And Blake Maples is our audio engineer. Our theme was composed and performed by Hannes Brown. Thanks to Francesca Levy and Tim Annette. Be sure to subscribe to Prognosis if you haven't already. And if you like our show, please leave us a review. That helps others find out about it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.